Welcome to this episode of Inside the NCAA, the AMA Experience. My name is Chris Johnson, and I'm Associate Director for Academic and Membership Affairs. Our goal is to provide you insight on what we in AMA encounter on a daily basis. We will have subject matter experts from within the national office and the membership to discuss hot topics affecting all three NCAA divisions. For today's episode, we're going to discuss the NCAA Transfer Portal statistics and trends with Director of NCAA Research, Lydia Bell. Lydia, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks so much for having me. Lydia, before we dive into the stats and trends, let's talk about your background a little bit. What brought you to the NCAA? Um, I have been at the national office now for 10 years. Um, prior to coming to the NCA, I was on the faculty at the University of Arizona, um, but my research interests have always been on the intersections of education and sport. And so the opportunity to work somewhere where that could be my full-time job and my full-time focus, um, but the chance to be able to gather data and to make you know, recommendations and support policy decisions um, in ways that could really directly impact and benefit the student athletes in real time was an awesome opportunity. Um, and I've really enjoyed my time here at the national office. Yeah. And we're truly, uh, really blessed to have you. You really dive into the data and the nuances of this data. And I really want to talk about it today and the trends. And so let's, let's start right away. Let's, let's talk about the trends and the data. What are you seeing overall with, with some of the transfer data with student athletes? Well, I've had the pleasure of working really closely with Susan Peel since the transfer portal opened on October 15th of 2018, um, and really trying to help the membership understand, you know, what's happening in the portal, who is using it, and then how can we understand some trends, you know, whether it's across divisions or also within specific sports. Um, so again, the transfer portal is, is relatively new. And as Susan, I'm sure, talked lots about, the portal itself is a compliance tool. Um, and it's really an opportunity if a student athlete is interested in transferring, they ask to be entered into the portal. No one rolls out of bed and enters themselves into the portal, uh, despite some you know common misconceptions about the portal. Um, but student athletes are entered into the transfer portal. Um, and really what the portal data allows us to do is to see of those student athletes who enter the, who are entered into the portal, do they find another opportunity at an NCA member institution? So I think it's always important to really remind us of that is that the portal is great about answering what happens to those NCA athletes who will leave their teams in search of another NCAA team. But what happens to those who leave and maybe go play at a junior college or an NAI institution? We can't answer that with transfer portal data. So I'll definitely do my best to explain the trends that we're seeing and to explain, you know, some of the the broader um, you know, the outcomes for our student athletes who enter the transfer portal, but it's important to remember that it's specific to transfer within the NCAA and from team to team. So if a student athlete leaves their sport but transfers, um, or if they play at another school outside of the NCAA, they're not captured in the portal. So we try to always preface all our meetings with that just to make sure that membership really remembers what the portal can and can't tell us. Yeah, that's that's really important to know as we as we begin to walk into the, talking about this data. Do, um, talking about student athletes and, and maybe compared to the general student body, is is there any trends or data that we see? Yeah, I think it's also really important um, t when we talk about student athlete experiences. We always want to remember, you know, are these being driven by being a student athlete or is this just part of being an undergraduate on campus today? And so I think a really um, helpful data point. So the National Student Clearinghouse, they, there's a large research body that really looks at trends um, unique to each student and, you know, what's happening with them in higher education. A 2018 clearinghouse report actually found that 39 percent 
of all students who begin at a four-year institution at some point transfer to another institution. So we're already seeing more than one in three of all undergrads at four-year schools transferring. So when we talk about student-athlete transfer, you know, I think people often think of like, it as if, you know, student athletes are very unique in that they're transferring more often than their non-athlete peers. What actually, what makes student athletes unique is that they tend to, you know, across most sports, transfer at lower rates than their non-athlete peers. Um, we also found that to be true when there was the Gallup um, organization did a study looking at the outcomes for NCAA alumni compared to their non-athlete peer alumni at colleges across the country. And even with their data for the alumni, they also found that student athletes were transferring at lower rates than their non-athlete peers. There is certainly some sport exceptions. There's a few of our sports that do have high transfer rates that may look very comparable to the undergraduate population as a whole. Um, But in general, we're pretty confident that our student athletes are actually transferring at lower rates, even with the advent of the portal. Fascinating. Fascinating. That's that's really interesting to know. And and I'll preface this by saying in the, in the October council meeting, they're going to discuss uh, some transfer portal window changes um, and uh, specifically in, in football, basketball, women's basketball and the other sports as well. What, what sort of data are they using to help guide some of those those changes or thought process? Yeah. So we have when a student athlete asks to be entered into the portal, that the timing of their portal entrance is stamped. And so we do have a sense of the days in which student athletes are entering. And even prior to the windows being developed um, and recommended by the Transformation Committee, what we were doing was sharing some of that, that data with them about when students were entering the portal. And we already knew that in most cases, a lot of student athletes were not really exp- putting their names or asking to have their names be put into the portal until the end of their regular season. And so I think that that was really what helped our our Transformation Committee and you know the members of our Division One Governance Committees be more comfortable about proposing these windows because they'd already seen that gen- in general, student athletes do tend to an- enter you know, at the start of their postseason. Um, but of course, there are there were those student athletes who were entering you know, in the middle of the season you know, or at other times. And I think there was a lot of conversation about you know, what does that, um, how does that impact the coaches in terms of their roster management? How does it impact this, the student athletes on those teams in terms of their ability to gel as a team? Um, and so knowing that there could be, you know, some some kind of chaos or tumult because of these people entering early um, and not waiting, you know, till after the postseason, um, would there would it make more sense to have windows? And I think that's where that there was support for the idea of a window. And as you saw, you know, and mentioned that there was a, there's a 60 day window for our student athletes. Um, this the window have, have only been in place for one year. So we only have one year of data to see, you know, what what did the windows do? Um, and the windows required behavior. So of course, people entered during the windows. There's very few exceptions for being able to enter outside of your window. Um, so of course, our student athletes tended to comply because they want to be able to compete at their next institution. Um, but we did see, you know, even to you know educate the council um, in this past over the summer using data from this past year, we did find that about you know two thirds to three quarters of all student athletes, mostly are, are undergraduates on aid, right? This is the group we really want to focus on because the windows most apply to them. Our postgrads can enter at, at almost any time because they have a lot more flexibility. But specific to this aided undergraduate population, we found that two thirds to three quarters were entering the portal um, at the end of the post at the end of the postseason 
Um, but they were entering within the first three to four weeks. Um, so I think that's why the conversation at, at the at the Division One Council was really to propose the possibility of a 30-day um, window. Would that make more sense? Would it actually make this, uh, you know, a, a, more, a seam, more seamless process? Um, there obviously has been more conversation about that. Is 30 appropriate? Should it be 45? Um, but part of the rationale was, again, showing them what did entrance look like with the windows in place, what were we seeing? And for the most part, we're seeing student athletes taking advantage of the window the minute it opens in those first few weeks and not really waiting until the end. Um, but it is important to remember that, you know, so our our winter sport athletes, they have a set 60-day window. But for our fall and our spring sport athletes, they have a 45-day window at the end of their postseason. And then there's also a 15-day window in their offseason. And we do see for those athletes, you know, whether it's football or men's or women's soccer, whether it's baseball or softball, we are seeing many take advantage of the opportunity to enter in their offseason. Um, so in some cases, almost like a quarter to 30 percent of all transfer portal entrants um, for some of those sports are taking advantage of that offseason window. So both windows seem to be important for those student athletes. But when you're going to enter, typically the decision to enter happens to be at the front end of the window as it currently stands. Yeah. And, and so this was the you alluded to this is the first year of the windows. Um, it felt like some of those first weeks those windows were open. It was it just was constant nonstop felt like people were entering the portal. How was that compared to, you know, the previous year where there, you know, there was a deadline of, of May 1 or uh, for a student athlete to enter? How does that data compare to previous years? I think where it compares is if you really want to dig down and like to the, the day, yes, you can see some differences. But in terms of the broader trends of when students were entering, it was still a very similar amount of students entering in those first first few weeks. I mean, I think where we all kind of became hyper aware of this was around the media surrounding our FBS football entrance. How many did enter that first couple days? I mean, it was over 200 to 300 on a given day in those first few days. However, I would imagine that those students have been, you know, expecting and anticipating entering the window. They likely had even spoken to their compliance you know, officer prior to the window opening and just letting them know that I'm going to be ready to enter the window when it's available to me. Um, so I, I don't I don't know that we should put too much stock in the fact that like the day it opened, you know, 200 entered. Probably many of those, as in years past, have been anticipating entering, but we're waiting for the for the moment. And because we had imposed these specific windows, that's where we saw that those first couple of days, that huge jump of numbers into the portal. Um, but I don't know that the behavior across, you know, the months and just across the sport has really changed that much. Um, if you really were to think about it in terms of weeks as opposed to a, a given day. Yeah. And I think one thing I hear quite a bit and, and I read online is is the impact of COVID uh, and the impact of additional seasons of competition, mm -hmm. which which allows a student athlete to, to basically have a sixth season uh, as a result of COVID. And then, uh, you know, of course, name image likeness is also thrown in there as well. Are, are you seeing any trends related to any of those or what, what's what's going on there? I think, you know, when we were looking, so the transfer portal, again, it opened in 1819. 1920 was our second year of the portal. Um, even then we were talking to all the governance committees. They were like, you know, when are we going to know the impact of transfer on graduation or on eligibility? And we were 
you know, getting very excited about like what would be the time frame before we would really know what transfer truly looks like now that we have this very comprehensive picture thanks to the transfer portal. And then this pandemic like blew up in our faces. <laughs> um, and suddenly, you know, being able to talk about what normal looks like, we just we haven't hit that yet. Um, and I think that's because what we saw in 1920, you know, especially in the spring where a lot of students typically do enter the transfer portal because of the pandemic, because of being, you know, moving back to many of them, moving back to their homes, being with family, not being able to compete. There was so much uncertainty. We saw we actually saw fewer students entering the portal that year. And I think so much of it was because no one knew what next week was going to look like. How could they plan for what campus they wanted to be on? You couldn't even go visit a campus, right? Um, and, and recruiting was shut down in many ways. So I think that impacted the 1920 year. In 2021, we saw a real increase in transfer activity, but I think that hit us in multiple ways. So that 2021, suddenly students maybe were feeling more comfortable about where they wanted to be. So there were those people who were already anticipating transfer and now were comfortable seeking that opportunity. So that's one group of it. There was another group of students who suddenly had an additional year of eligibility, many of whom were probably graduating. All of a sudden, I've got an extra year of eligibility. Why don't I pursue and see, would someone want me on their team and I can start my grad program and get it funded? Who would ever turn somebody down to explore that opportunity, right? So we've got that group. Then we have those incoming first years who you know, had been recruited, they had anticipated, oh, this is my moment, I'm gonna be a starter on this soccer team, or I'm gonna, you know, I already know what my coach told me my role is gonna look like. And all of a sudden they get to that campus and they're like, that person who I thought I was replacing is still here, right? <laughs> and what does the student athlete want more than anything? They want the opportunity to compete. So suddenly we've got students who are dissatisfied, these incoming students anticipating an opportunity, it's not there, they're pursuing transfer. Um, so I just think there was just there were so many factors that hit us at the exact same time um, that really need to be kind of when we think about the COVID's impact on transfer, if there's actually that those three components that impacted transfer. Um, and so that's why we saw that increase. And then at the same time, all of a sudden we opened the one time, you know, one time eligibility exception to all sports. So then those five sports that previously didn't have access to it suddenly had access to that too. And we absolutely saw an increase in people seeking transfer in you know, men's and women's basketball, FBS and FCS football, baseball and men's ice hockey, right? So again, it was kind of a perfect storm. So when people ask us again to predict what does normal look like in the transfer portal, we're still not in a space where we can say what normal looks like because even this current year, we're still seeing so many of our student athletes who had the additional year of COVID eligibility um, being able to pursue those post-grad opportunities. In just the 22-23 academic year, 33% of all student athletes who entered the transfer portal were seeking a post-grad opportunity. Um, and at some point, we do anticipate that that will begin to decline a bit as, as students you know, are really kind of using their four or five years of eligibility at their initial campus. Um, but we're not sure what year that's going to hit um, because there were even those fall 2020, you know, fall athletes who got the additional year right mm -hmm. now they're in their fifth year. So it continues to be a murky picture. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's fascinating to hear about the post-grad piece of it all. And I think it's so great as well to, to, to understand that student athletes, they get one more year, right? Most times they get one more year and they're going to get another degree. 
Like yeah. they, they go from, you know, the undergraduate degree, or, you know, they graduate and it's like, I can go play, I can keep playing and I can get my master's degree mm-hmm. paid for. Yeah. I, I think that's what's missed. And sometimes a lot of this data and the post post-grad transfers that that's such a great opportunity, not only for student athletes, but society as a whole, yeah. I think, as we continue to go through with that. And in talking about the post-grad data, I mean, how many are you currently seeing right now? So there's a couple different ways to look at it. So, you know, one, obviously, is the transfer portal activity. So as I said, about a third of students who are entering the transfer portal in the most recent year are pursuing a postgraduate opportunity. But that's those seeking and whether or not that they take that opportunity and find a find a spot in another NCA program or if, you know, they sent out 10 job applications and entered the portal, <laughs> they took their best <laughs> offer. Right. We don't we don't know. Um, I don't think that that's the best number. The better number, I think, is our academic portal data that we, you know, thanks to you know compliance submitting that data. We have a real good sense of, you know, term by term, our students, you know, in terms of their enrollment and what kinds of programs that they're in. And one of those, we can look at postgrads in the academic cohort. And in Division One, pre-pandemic, it was only about, you know, two to three percent across all sports of students were participating as postgrads. And that doesn't mean transfers. That could be students staying for that fifth year at their original institution, pursuing graduate opportunities. It could be those who had transferred. In the most recent data, so that's still 21-22, it's not, um, you know, that, that's our most recent data, is the 21-22 academic cohort. It was more than one in 10 of our Division One athletes now wow. in the cohort are, per, are, are in the cohort as postgrads. So we're, they have definitely earned their degree as undergraduates, and they are now doing some form of graduate work um, or, or doing some kind of postgrad education. So... I, that's just such a huge change. And you can see that spike. Um, it's it's just, it's huge. I mean, all along it had kind of been creeping up, you know, one and a half to 2% to three. But then all of a sudden with the additional year of COVID eligibility, it just spiked um, to over one in 10. And I think that's, it's kind of interesting to see. Again, though, I do anticipate that leveling out a bit, you know, as the as the um, additional year of COVID eligibility for so many of our student athletes, you know, is pretty much, will no longer be around, available. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And the one last piece I'd like to ask is, is we talked about postgraduate uh, student athletes. Um, what about student athletes uh, who may have transferred more than once as an undergraduate? Uh, what is there any data or trends that, you know, that that you're seeing? Yeah. So for our for our compliance um folks who are listening to this, I think one of the really neat new features in the transfer portal, the transfer portal has so many neat features that tell us a lot about the student athletes. So there's an adorable little icon. If someone is pursuing postgrad, there's a cute little graduation cap. So if you're looking at your your transfers, you can see like, oh, here's the postgrads right now from my that are a part of my transfer list. A new feature is an is this MT, a multiple transfer. And what that is signaling to someone in compliance or even to a coach, they'll see the MT as well, is just, just to be aware that this person has been entered into the portal more than once from, a, from more than one institution. And so those would be our so-called multiple transfers. So those those aren't you know guaranteed multiple transfers. Those are someone seeking another transfer opportunity. Um, when we look at the most recent um, data, we, we are also tracking on multiple transfers. We're very interested. Um, it's less than, it's about, you know, somewhere between five and 10% of student athletes who are entering the transfer portal are seeking an additional transfer opportunity. Um, really important to like parse out the postgrads from this group because I would not think, you know, 
right? It's really important. Many of us would encourage someone seeking graduate education to, to try to do it at somewhere different than where they did their undergrad. Um, just try a new school out, right? So I think the postgrads are a little bit different. But in terms of those undergraduates who are seeking you know, a, a third or a fourth institution, those would be marked in the portal, transfer portal now as a multiple transfer. But it's a very small number. And even more important is very few of those students find a transfer opportunity in the NCAA. We've been trying to track on that over time. Um, it, it varies widely by sport, um, but the numbers are still incredibly small. Um, definitely less than, fewer than half, in many cases, fewer than a quarter, um, find another NCAA opportunity. And I think part of that's because you know, at many of our schools, in order to transfer later, whether, I mean, especially as a junior or a senior, the credits that you need to be able to bring with you that you can apply to your new major, it can be incredibly challenging to, you know, transfer enough credits to meet eligibility requirements at your new institution. And I'm sure that's why it's kind of very challenging to bring on someone who's a multiple transfer. That's really important for, for us to know, but also likely a lot of those are going to struggle too with the academic piece that you you, yeah. you brought up as well about yeah. transferring credits to their next institution. Yeah. And it varies widely by institution. I mean, every many you know campuses have their own rules about how many credits they will accept from another institution. But student athletes should be really aware of it, especially if they're yeah. pursuing that, because uh, in order to you know make sure that your credits are are kind of being transferred into the major that you most want. I mean, it may be much more challenging at one school versus another. And having those conversations with someone, you know, in the academic space, as opposed to talking to a coach who may not know the real nuances of all that, those challenges, um, it can be very risky for someone pursuing a multiple transfer. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so true, and and that's important to know too that that's not NCA legislation. That's individual. Yeah, schools every and school is different, and different majors are different. Yeah, and so you know, it it may not just be a rule specific to an institution, but it could be specific to a college or to a specific department. And so just being aware of that is a really important conversation to have. That's Yeah, that's a very cognizant. And, and you've referenced compliance and, and our compliance people as, as a former compliance person on campus. This time, this time of year is crazy. Mm -hmm. It's beginning of football season. But this data is also really important. What what can our compliance people do to help help you out in, oh, in yeah. analyzing this data? <laughs> well, it's not so much the analysis, but the data are only as good as the membership input, right? And what is so important for us um, to really, I think, you know, we are very interested in, you know, capturing who's entering the portal. But for us, it's the outcomes. Mm -hmm. You know, do these students, athletes find an opportunity? So remembering to matriculate those transfers that you brought in is so important. Um, I know that that's something that Susan Peel has also really trying to be trying to encourage people to make sure they remember just to pull up, you know, their their rosters, see who's transferred, and just make sure that they've just clicked that button in the portal that this student has matriculated at our school. Um, because for us, that really helps us understand, you know, what is the pathway for our for our student athletes? Where are they headed? Um, and that way, you know, we can because we we definitely try to. Um, try to track these students in certain sports, we'll actually do it by hand. Um, but we would much prefer if people just clicked in that matriculation bar because it makes it so much easier. Yeah. And, and we just alluded to like how important this data is. And, and you know, the, the NCAA Division One Council is looking at, at this data as they continue to yep. look at legislative options moving forward regarding transfers. Lydia, thank you so much for yes. coming on the show today. Absolutely. It was so great to have you. And, and every time I have a conversation with you, I'm always like blown away with the <laughs> stats and trends. So thank you so much. Yes, happy to do it. Um, to our audience, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Inside the NCAA. Be on the lookout for our next episode in the next two weeks. Thank you.